0: Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press joins me later to preview the NBA playoffs. First up, we're going to talk horse racing. It was a busy Monday in New York State. The New York Racing Association indefinitely suspended trainer Bob Baffert, while the New York State Gaming Commission revoked trainer Linda Rice's license for three years and fined her $50,000. To talk about that, along with the pregnant stake results, is the Gazette's Mike McGadda, Mike? Welcome back to the podcast, and all I can say is, wow, is, my head, is your head spinning like my head was spinning?
1: Well, not as much as it would be if um, Medina Spirit had won the Preakness, and uh, <laughs> we would have had three weeks of dealing with that total circus of, you know, a, a Derby winner who's still whose victory is still pending based on a, um, a drug positive and uh like we, we didn't even want to imagine what how it would have been. so just for a good measure they you know they threw us a couple curveballs on monday just to keep us honest and not comfortable so yeah it was, i mean but the the baffert um suspension by naira on monday um wasn't a huge surprise just the timing of it was kind of interesting like they waited until after the preakness and you know they probably holding their breath that the horse didn't win because if he did win then they would have had so they would have been in a real pickle to try to figure out what to do but um uh, ron bauer bailed him out by beating medina spirit <laughs> in the preakness so they didn't have, so kind of monday you know just the timing of it was you could see there's some a little bit of self-serving on the irish part from that angle and uh but at the same time it's you know i think it's a worthy um action on their part and worthy punishment. And, uh, you know, this this whole situation is still so up in the air waiting for the the, uh, B sample to come back on uh, Medina Spirits uh, drug test of blood and urine samples from uh, the Kentucky Derby. The first one came back positive for a tiny amount of a legal therapeutic drug called beta methadone that they believe they can trace to an ointment that was played, you know, that was rubbed on his hindquarters in April to, to cure a rash and it contains this uh, active ingredient in it. Um, uh, so, I mean, the, the, the drug in question and, and what they popped them for, you know, it's hard to say that it actually had any performance enhanced, you know, um, capability to it. Uh, but at the same time, it's illegal to, to find it in a horse's system on race day or, you know, in a post-race um, blood sample. So, you know, the punishment is is legit and, and deserved. And uh, yeah, it caused a whole crazy scene the day after the Derby. And it was just sort of this sweltering, you know, simmering thing going into the Preakness. And then, some people probably breathe a huge sigh of relief when the horse got beat in the Preakness, yeah. um, they were in it to win it, obviously, so Baffert wasn't thrilled about it. But, um, yeah, it was, I mean, there were a lot of crazy scenarios out there, and the one we're facing now is, you know, Belmont Stakes on June 5th where, you know, we might not really have to talk about a lot of this.
0: What if, what if Naira did – let's say Medina Spirit wins the Preakness and then Naira comes out Monday and issues the same statement that – I mean, how much chaos I, were there –
1: I don't think they would have done it that way. I don't, I think they would have if he, you know, I mean, like I said, they were in a tough position if they were in a, if they they did it before the Preakness and then he wins the Preakness, um, now suddenly you're the bad guys for denying the horse a shot at the Triple Crown. So they had to, they had to be in a wait and see position and then when the horse wound up losing, boom! Yeah, we pulled the trigger on what we, you know, probably wanted to do all along. But you know, they they were in a kind of a tough position, and so there was a lot of, um, a lot of ramifications if they had decided to do this uh, before the
0: Preakness. And you wrote a column about Baffert uh, leading into the Preakness on Saturday, and basically just taking it out to the woodshed uh, with the. Uh, He seems like he he wants to blame other people and all this cancel culture stuff. And then what is it about Baffert? Most of the time he seems to get away with this, but now I think people are probably catching up to him.
1: You know, he's great for the game because of his personality and the good horses that he trains and everything, but he's also the, the, the double, the other side of that coin is he's bad for the game because he's so high profile, but he keeps getting banged for these drug violations. I mean, five in the last year and a half, whatever it is, and these are high profile horses. This isn't like some claimer in the 10th race at Santa Anita on a Wednesday. You're talking about Gamine, Charlatan, Kentucky Derby winner. So there's a lot of schadenfreude out there. A lot of people don't like Baffert. A lot of people love him. Well, maybe not a lot of people love him, but um, the fact of the matter is he's truly the face of the game in mainstream media and with the general public who doesn't follow racing on a regular basis. So. For all the attention he gets for the good things, it's getting a little balanced. The scales are bouncing a little in the other direction for him being, you know, kind of a blight on the sport and, and a, you know, a reason that a lot of people think that you know rules need to be tightened and changed. And um, and again, I, the, it, it's funny because the positive w- was not really. I mean, it's not like steroids or you know some other. Um, Cobra venom and these real, you know, out of the box, um, che- clearly cheating performance-enhancing things, and it seems like an innocuous way that the that it got into the horse's system. If that's the case, you know, we don't know. I mean, that's their speculation. Um, <laughs> but so, but you balance it against the fact that it happened to the Derby winner, and he got, um, you know, his, his victory got put on hold the day after the race. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, it, um it's the biggest horse on the biggest stage getting popped for something that seems relatively minor, but it, the rules are rules and, and you know, it had to be done.
0: Yeah. Uh, can Baffert appeal
1: or is well, he... what's happening now, where the process stands right now is they did appeal in the form of asking for the B sample, which they do for every horse before these big races. Mm-hmm. They, t- they take two samples of the same blood and, and split it into two samples. They test the A sample and then the B sample is on hold in case it's a positive and the connections choose to have the B sample tested. I think in most cases they probably do because obviously we want to make sure there wasn't a problem with the first sample mishandling or, or just you know a false positive for somehow. So where it stands right now is it's going to be weeks before we get that B. probably after the Belmont, um, I would think. And the, part of the reason behind that is because the way the process worked is the, the tracks contract to a specific lab to immediately test the A sample if, 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 after a race. So that's why I came back so quick on the A sample, but the B sample, they don't have anybody standing on, on standby to test that right away. So they have to pick a lab, send it there. And those people have already have some obligations that they have to work their way through. They can't put the, the, this B sample from a horse race to the head of the line. So we, that's, that's part of the process. There may be some other things behind the scenes, but, um, that's, that's you know, one of the reasons yeah. for the holdup. People are wondering why you can't just get it back fast like we did with A.
0: Yeah. Can Baffert appeal his Naira suspension? Or does uh, he, do you think he plans to?
1: I don't think he plans to. And I, he doesn't have really a lot of recourse. Um, that doesn't seem like a move that that really would even do him any good. Um, I mean, the, the only thing, the only recourse he has is, like, to take it to court or something like that. I and mean, I, you would think – not a lawyer, but, uh, I think he wouldn't have really a leg to stand on when his horse tested positive. Um, so he doesn't really race a lot in New York anyway, but when he does, it's always with a big name horse mm-hmm. that he brings in for stakes races that we see at Belmont and, uh, and Saratoga for certain.
0: Yeah. Well, London, the London Rice situation is different. and She's being suspended for you know, three years and what is being, she's being accused of, uh, paying off officials in the Naira racing office for confidential, advanced race entry information that could damage, uh, constitute, uh, or uh, constitute a competitive advantage. What do you think is act accusations are valid?
1: Um, I, the accusation certainly is valid and there certainly is a paper trail that points to her being guilty of this. This is, this is the result of an ongoing investigation that started in 2018. Um, basically what was going on was she was, she was giving tips, you know, hundred dollar checks here and there to a variety of track workers, not just people in the racing office, but like the assistant starters who work the starting gate. Then she was characterizing them as Christmas bonuses or Christmas tip, gifts, yes. tips kind of thing. Um, and I'm not, you know, that doesn't seem like really a, a, something you should be doing in the first place, yeah. but then when there's evidence, through the emails and and other information from people inside the office that they were tipping her on um, pre-race entries and things like that and the way that, that competitive edge works there is if you know where other people are positioning their horses then you can use that information to position your horses and, and target certain races that might be easier spots for your horses so um, certainly uh, that's confidential information until the races are drawn and to get a um, to get advanced notice of who's going where with their horses in certain races, that that's definitely an advantage. So, um, you you feel bad because she's, you know, we've dealt with her for a long time. She's a mainstay on the New York circuit. She won Saratoga racing uh, trainer title, um, back in the year. Um, it was a year when there were like tons of turf sprints suddenly. And and she won a lot of them. (laughs) And, And, uh, um, so I, I mean, it's kind of a, that seedy underbelly of how the, you know, the trainer racing office relationship works. I'm sure she's not the only one who's looking for favors for them. Um, and she got caught, and it looks like there's a paper trail there that, that, you know, warrants this. I mean, three year, and it's a minimum three years, too. So um, now maybe she'll appeal, too. I don't know. I mean, she did testify back in November or December where it was. Whatever it was uh, before the New York State Gaming Commission, and and her lawyers have tried to make the case and characterize the things she was doing as is not um, not anything that big of a deal. Um, so it's still fresh enough that I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of appeal on her part, especially because like a three-year revoking of your license minimum is um, you know that's substantial. I mean that's her livelihood.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially the horses that she trained. I mean those owners have to find new.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. That's the other thing I was wondering about is they. I mean, they won't. They won't suffer for any lack of people with stalls in their barn who who uh, will certainly take her stock on. But um, those horses will have to go somewhere, and uh, so we'll see how that plays out. I, I don't think that story really is over yet either.
0: And this is like a one-two punch between Baffert and Rice. Uh, what does the horse race has to do to clean itself up?
1: Boy, that's a broad question. That <laughs> I can't answer. I mean, this. I think we're Probably hitting the ten-minute mark already, and if you don't want to get into like two, we're at
0: twelve-minute mark right now. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the
1: internal clock is working like a jockey right now. Um, um, it, first of all, the, the two things that are, you know, the two stories are kind of like separate issues, but they also, I think, the thread that is kind of between them is it is people trying to gain an advantage, even if Baffert's drug situation wasn't really giving his horse that much of an, an advantage. It's just another domino in a long line of you know that that, that he's had for um, drug violations, and so I, I think that might be the common thread. Um, uh, the Congress approved the Horse Integrity Safety Act uh, last year, I think it was, and it will be enacted next year, which will is is aimed at bringing uniformity of drug rules um, in the 38 jurisdictions in, in the United States that race. So. Maybe that will have some impact. That's what it's designed to do. And, you know, it might be too little, too late for a lot of people in the general public who see stories like this and are just fed up.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about the pre Stakes and uh, Ron Bauer's victory. He comes up uh, late toward the end of the stretch there, a, gr- a great uh, win. And what about the impact of that? I know we talked earlier about the Triple Crown. Do you think there was a sense of relief among horse racing fans, owners, uh, maybe other trainers, that there won't be a Triple Crown this winner this year?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, triple crowns are great. I don't, you know, a lot of people think that it, the savior of racing is for a horse to win the triple crown. And we, that certainly hasn't been the case because we've had American Pharaoh just justify both trained by Baffert, by the way, um uh, who've won triple crowns in 15 and in, in 2018. Um, it, it will, diminish the Belmont as it always does it from an attention standpoint, certainly from the general mainstream public, um, you know, it could still be kind of a fun race. I think the jury's still out about whether the three-year-old male class is um, all that great this year, um, especially with, excuse me, with um, one of Baffert's horses <laughs> who I thought was going to win the triple crown this year. Life is good. It's been on the shelf and will be so until the fall. Um, so going into the Belmont, you know, are kind of a was kind of an interesting story. Um, you know, there's a couple that are coming back that have run in both the Derby and the Preakness that are that are running in the Belmont. We're probably looking at about 10 horses. Um, right now, the the one horse who's not running in it who would have made it super, super amazingly interesting is Malathat, undefeated filly from the barn of Todd Pletcher. I mean, for a filly to win the Belmont, which he did by the way, with Rags to Riches, uh, Al Dool and Curlin and the stretch was, was to this day one of the greatest live sporting events that I've seen in person. Um, it would have been crazy interesting if Mala was in there. I guess I was just reading that they're going to skip the bell. They, they were kind of rumblings that they were going to run in the belmont especially since Pletcher has history with with running and winning the belmont with a philly but apparently she's going to wait for saratoga and the coaching club american oaks so in the meantime we'll see how legit ron bauer is and we'll see him run against some pretty good horses and um it it will kind of make up a little bit for malafat not being in there if essential quality who's the two-year-old champion last year um, if he shows up in there, uh, he was fourth in the Kentucky Derby, skipped the Preakness, and if he comes back uh, to run in the Belmont, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting, but I, I think he's kind of a possible and not a probable right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact that this Belmont Stakes will have actually fans there, I mean, that could make it a little more interesting than seeing.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Wait, I was there last year when Tis the Law won it. It would have been one of the coolest things, especially because he's the New York Brad horse, and it was just like, You could hear the riding crops and the jockeys, you know, kind of their (laughs) guttural, you know, vocal vocalizations uh, coming into the the, to finish line, and that was it. And you heard a couple, like I think there was like one person whooped in in victory, and other than that, dead silence. So that at least that'll be cool, and and that's a fluid situation too because um, you know the guidelines keep changing and. So there, there should be a pretty good crowd there. Um, in fact, Naira just changed their t- They just added an, a, an additional pool of tickets last week based on, again, the ever-shifting landscape of what, how many people you can have in a place and how much social distancing you need. And then, you know, proof of vaccination opens a whole huge uh opportunity to get more people in there so that that will be cool no matter what happens in the race itself to see fans back back there for the belmont and
0: what about fans of saratoga what's the situation there
1: uh, kind of similar um and but except that we have like an extra two months to figure that out um and you know, i just went on the naira website just to see if there would have anything any change in their ticket um button that you hit if you're trying to get admission to and it just says Check back here soon <laughs> because and I've talked to them ongoing for months now and because it keeps changing. Every time Cuomo changes the rules, he went from 20% to 33% to um, y- you could conceivably have no social distancing and proof of vaccination in there. Uh, I mean, you could fill the place. I mean, you could open it up to, to full admission if everybody has proof of vaccination. I, You know, my, my gut feeling is Naira won't do that if nothing else changes between now and July 15th opening day, because um, they want to kind of remain inclusive to some part. And so if people aren't vaccinated, there there will be options for them to get in there, but um, they they have said all along, they're going to explore every grain of potential there is to get as many people in there as possible. So, um, I mean, theoretically, they could say proof of vaccine you're in and fill the place. Uh,
0: Non-horse racing question as we taped this on Wednesday night. The Bruins and Capitals playing game three Wednesday night. Uh, series tied 1-1 going into it. What are your thoughts about the that series? I'm going
1: to say it was a relief when Brad Marchand scored 37 seconds in the overtime the other day because I needed that split to get me to Sunday which will be the first game of this series that I actually have the day off and I'm going to lay my can on the couch with a beer and watch it so otherwise I'm going to be in the office for <laughs> the whole series so thank you Brad Marchand for relieving me and that now I got to at least be able to watch one game at
0: home, well, I don't have to worry about that. If my flyers didn't make the playoffs. <laughs>
1: yeah, that worked out. I know. Yeah, but,
0: you can jump yeah. on the wagon to the Bruins wagon. No, nah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just going to watch, enjoy, and uh, keep making my predictions. So, so that means
1: being a Pennsylvania person, you automatically shift to the Penguins. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> that was a loaded question.
0: No way. Mike, thanks for coming on. We'll talk, guys. Uh, we'll talk as we get towards Saratoga. we will be, uh, be a couple months. Okay. I am going down to Valmont, and pulling it down and back. Okay. So if you want to get me on, just for
1: a couple minutes to talk about what happens after that.
0: After that. You can do that. That's great. We'll do that. Sounds good. Right, we'll, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm looking on my calendar right now. <laughs> okay. <Awesome. laughs> That's Mike McAdam Up next, I'll talk to the associate Presses Tim Reynolds as we get you ready for the NBA playoffs. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late-inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school. Plus, all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports
2: memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, I'm George Manius, president of the Albany Firewolves of the National Lacrosse League. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott.
0: Welcome back to the podcast, the NBA playoffs will tip off Saturday, we're right now in the uh, play-in round and Tim Reynolds, the Associated Press who covers the NBA, is uh, kind enough to join us for a few minutes here, uh, Tim, welcome back to the podcast, hope things are well down in uh, Florida. Things are going well, Ken. I hope things are going well up at home. Well, things are things are well and uh yeah, except for the Phillies, we'll talk about our Phillies in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. That
2: took fourteen seconds. We're terrible. We're just absolutely terrible. I hate our
0: team. Well, let's talk about this NBA playing tournament. Uh yeah, some people you know, last year LeBron thought it was a good idea. This year because the Lakers are in it, he didn't think it was a good idea. But overall we, I know we have as we speak, we have two uh, games left, but uh What do you think of this playoff play-in tournament? Well, I think it's
2: an absolute certainty that this one-year trial um, is going to become a thing. Like, and and, I I think it's been great. Like, I I think it's been it's 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 bridged the gap first of all between the regular season and 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 the postseason. People have been very excited. You you couldn't make up a better match. I mean. Steph and LeBron and LeBron getting poked in the eye and making a 34-footer off the wrong leg to win again. You can't make this stuff up. Like I don't know how the NBA rigs this for, for this stuff to happen this way. It's it's, it's crazy. I, I think it's been fantastic. I thought – we talk about it in, in live terms, right? We, we, we talk about it in how it's generated so much excitement in these, in these two, three days right now. What it really did was it kept people – just flat tanking you know the toronto raptors could have fought a little harder to get into the playing tournament they don't aspire for that like they're in a different place i don't think they tank necessarily they just they didn't prioritize trying to get to 10th place you saw teams going for it you saw sacramento going for it you saw um new orleans going for it You, you saw the chicago bulls going for it all those teams any other year, it would have been in their best interest to pack it in three weeks ago. And they played all the way to the end. So I thought it made for great regular season basketball. And it's a great way to get into the postseason because we have high drama even before game one of any series gets played.
0: Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, Thursday night uh, Washington and Indiana will play for the right to play the Sixers in the East. And then uh, Friday, the Golden State and Memphis will play to uh, have the right to play Utah in the West as the top seed. So uh looking at these matchups uh, as we start uh the you know the the uh, first round uh, on Saturday uh what intrigues you the most
2: um honestly the hawks and the Knicks.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean and it's not just because it's new york and it's because it's kevin Herter. It, it's, I it's i just think i think the league is better when the Knicks are good i think the league is better when the Knicks when, when nicks fans who are insane on so many levels when, when they have reason for hope i think it's just a better league and maybe that's just the new york homer in me i i don't know um that series intrigues me a lot i mean the knicks it's been a long time it's been since 2013 you know since they had since they had playoff basketball at the garden that's wonderful it's coming at a time when you know the, the pandemic is we, we seem to be maybe turning the corner. I can't, I, I don't want to go too far with it because I'm still, you know, I'm worried about what's coming next, yeah. but, you know, we're making progress and they're letting more fans into the garden. So it'll be a great atmosphere. Obviously, you know, the personal side of it for me with Kevin, um, the fact that he gets to play his first playoff game at Madison Square Garden, I think that's tremendous on a personal level. Um, and the Hawks could have packed it I mean the Hawks got off to a bad start they went through a midseason coaching change um, they had injuries and they found a way to overcome it all and get, and get to the fifth spot. I think it's two of the best coaching jobs we saw in the NBA this season. I'm very intrigued by, by that matchup you know out west you know you've got Portland and Denver you've got the Lakers and the Suns two series where the six and the seven seeds technically the underdogs, are probably going, going going into those matchups as the favorites when it's all said and done. The Lakers will be favored. I think the Blazers are trending that way. When you look at the odds right now going on in Vegas and other sports books that the Blazers look like they, can, they might be the popular pick to knock off a three seed. Already out West, we see it setting up for chaos, which is what we all want at this time of year. We okay. want high drama. We want surprises. Um, There's a lot of potential. These matchups are all, I mean, I haven't even mentioned the Heat and the Bucks yet, two teams that don't like each other very much. Mm -hmm. That's always fun when you got two teams that don't get along. Philly's going to let in more fans into a building where nobody ever seems to win. They're going to get a team that has whoever comes out of the East, whether it's Washington or Indiana, um, on Thursday night. They're going to get a team with absolutely nothing to lose. Teams with nothing to lose tend to play well in these situations. Ken, we're going to have so much fun that's the next two, three weeks. The well, first round, to me, is as good as – it's potentially
0: as good as it's ever been. Well, as a Philadelphia sports fan, I'll probably age about 10 years in the next couple of weeks with the Sixers. No question. No question. <laughs> I mean, speaking of you know, the Knicks, I mean, yeah, talk a little more about Tom Thibodeau, what he has done. And basically, I think he kept James Dolan out at bay, and now James Dolan is ruining the Rangers.
2: Well, I'm glad that he's you know, shifted his focus. I mean, so that that's critical. Look, it, it was... I'm certain it was a condition of employment. If Tib said, I'm coming to New York, I'm going to do this job, you know, what, what was the Parcells line? If you want me to cook the dinner, let me buy the groceries. I yeah. think with Tib, yeah. it was... You know, modified slightly. Tibbs like you want me to cook the dinner. Let me at least do the prep. You know, let me do the prep work as well. Like the, the Knicks, the Knicks are a great story. Not just because of Julius Randle, not just because of the guy who's going to win Most Improved Player, has a chance to be All NBA this year. It's not just him. The Knicks play basketball in a way that is not popular in the NBA right now. The Knicks play a defense first and really defense second brand of basketball. He got, you know, Tibbs got Derrick Rose, who can kind of translate Tibbs to English in the locker room, a guy who's played with him, I think, at every stop. I think Derek's had Tibbs somewhere, you know, somewhere in his coaching, you know, his coaching history. Everywhere Derrick's gone, Tibbs has been. I think that was very important to sort of be the bridge between the coaching staff and and, and the players, um, plus a, a vet and a really good guy. D. Rose is a really good guy. So that always helps. But he got this team to believe in defense first. And nobody wants to play that way right now, Ken. Like, you look at the numbers in the NBA. This is the, this is the go, go, go. Shoot threes. Threes every time down. Get out and run. I got beat on defense. Don't care. I'm going to score on the next possession. The Knicks are playing the old way. Now, we're not going to see games in the 80s again. Like, that era is gone and probably gone forever. But what the Knicks are doing, they're, they're as close as we have. To that they don't shoot a lot of threes they don't play real fast they're go they're bucking the norms right now they're going against the grain and it not just isn't working it's working really really well and i still i'm old so i still believe this that at this time of year if you don't have defense you don't have a chance the knicks have as good a good defense as anybody in the eastern conference and that gives them a chance against anyone
0: well, it's a good time to be a basketball fan in New York because the Brooklyn Nets are the number two seed in the East. Uh, we know about their three-headed monster of Harden, Irving, and uh, Durant, but they haven't been together much during the regular season. Uh, do you worry about uh, injuries playing a, a part in the, for those three as we head into the postseason?
2: Well, w- well, we've seen that they're prone, right? I mean, we've we've seen that. You know, things can go wrong, and hamstrings are scary. I know Harden came back, but hamstrings are just... I mean, you, you can't... Once once they start... Once you've got a hamstring problem, it usually takes several weeks to get it right. So my the, the question isn't so much... The question I have isn't so much, what is James Harden's quote-unquote percentage? Like, you know, nobody's 100%. But what is he? Is he 80? Is he 90? That's not really the question. The, the question is... Where is he in his mind? Like, does he still feel it? Does he still worry about the hamstring? He's got, he's got a lot of bravado. He's got a lot of swag, and he's earned that. He is absolutely one of the elite players in our game. One of the elite scorers of all time. Um, I still want to know if he, if, if he is worried in any way about the back of his leg. That's not going to help the Nets. To me, though, the bigger issue with them. We know that Kyrie's amazing. We know KD's amazing. I think the job Steve Nash has done is incredible. I think the best move Steve Nash made was six months ago, bringing in Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni's basically running timeouts. Like Steve Nash is deferring. Steve Nash, it's not all about him. He's deferring to a great group of assistant coaches that ultimately they're going to get in a situation that they haven't been in many of because the big three only played together in, what, eight or nine games? Mm-hmm. They haven't been in many of these situations where at the end of a game, the end of a close game, who gets the ball? Like This is what I want to know. And you can't simulate that in practice. So I think the Nets are going to have some growing pains in these playoffs. That said, the Lakers played their way last season into into a team that could, obviously, good enough to win a championship. The Lakers reinvented themselves from the start of round one to the end of the NBA Finals, they got so much better. And they were clearly the best team at the end. They really mean LeBron, Anthony, they were. They were just the best team at the end. I kind of wonder if the Nets can follow that same path. Be a team that has a lot of question marks going into the playoffs and then use these two months to silence an awful lot of doubters and answer some questions that they probably have about themselves along the way.
0: Sell me on the Utah Jazz. They have the best overall record in the uh, league this year. But do they feel like a favorite to win the championship? No, and I think that's one of the reasons why
2: I can sell you on it. Because, you know, Utah and Phoenix, too, I'll loop them in 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 this part of the answer. They have the ultimate um, motivational card to play right now. Hey, nobody respects you. I mean, from from the. I mean, you, Phoenix is going to be the two seed, and they're not going to be favored to beat the Lakers. Do you think that might inspire them a little bit? The Jazz are going to get that on a slightly lesser, slightly lesser degree. Like they'll be favored to beat either Golden State or Memphis, but they are not getting the respect that they feel they deserve. And this has been a thing with them for a while. You know, Rudy Gobert always feels underappreciated. I think Rudy Gobert, once again, is you know in the conversation of best defensive player because he does something that not a lot of guys in this league can still do he defends the rim most guys in this league still don't do that the warriors don't have i mean look at look at the lineup the warriors are playing right now everybody's like six five they don't have a great rim defender draymond green's an elite defender they don't have a, an elite rim defender the utah jazz do and rudy gobert they have a great coach in quinn snyder just an incredibly smart guy Incredibly driven guy, incredibly focused guy. He's got the pulse of that team. The bench with Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles—you've got options there. They will be very comfortable going eight or nine deep if they have to. The question is Donovan Mitchell. We haven't seen Donovan Mitchell in a few weeks. How good is he? How is the ankle? Where's his timing at? I—it's to, to me the biggest fact the biggest question for the Jazz is Donovan's health. But the biggest advantage the Jazz have is, in this COVID era, nobody has, full, nobody has fully reopened their building yet. But the Jazz are going to be closest. The Jazz have had a great home court advantage all year. They've had more people in their building than anybody in the NBA all season. That trend will continue in the playoffs. It's a very, very tough place to play. And, Ken, let's face it, teams are just not used to to going down the road and facing really hostile environments this year because most buildings have been half full, quarter full, completely empty, whatever the case may be. You know, Vivint Arena, or whatever they call it out in Salt Lake now, it's going to be pretty close to full, and I think that's going to give the Jazz yet another leg up. They're a really good team. It's going to be really tough to win in their building.
0: Who are you predicting to make the finals?
2: Um, I would say Brooklyn. Comes out of the East um, only because I want to say Philly, like I really do. I love Doc. I think Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid was very close to MVP on my ballot this year. Uh, Tobias Harris is the unsung hero of that team. I just don't know when push comes to shove if they're going to have enough. If they're going to have enough scoring to get by Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I say Brooklyn. And out west, I'm sorry, but until proven otherwise, I am taking the Los Angeles Lakers to get out of the West. Until somebody knocks them off, I'm going to pick them until until somebody beats them.
0: Of course, the uh, playoffs uh, will see the end of a brilliant uh, broadcasting career with Marv Albert. What he calls the, I think, it's the Eastern Conference Finals on TNT. Uh, yep. What are your thoughts about Marv?
2: Um, I mean, we throw the word legend around pretty casually nowadays I mean anybody can be called a legend you know guys like Marv first of all to do it in New York and are we biased yeah probably we probably are but this guy wasn't the voice of the NBA forever this guy was the voice of New York and to me that just carries so much more weight it just like if. it, it Truly, you know, this, like the song says, if you can make it there, right? And and it it holds true. Marv changed... Marv made it cool for broadcasters to have personality. Marv made it cool for broadcasters to, you know, go against the grain a little bit, to be different. I mean, Marv had the distinctive voice, the distinctive yes call. Um, You knew it was... It's like... The guys like Musburger, the guys like Marv, and this you know, Doc Emmerich, um, Mike Green it, to me is in that club now as well. When you hear their voice at a game, when you would hear Brent when, when the screen would come when the screen would you know flicker on and you hear Brent Musburger say, You are looking live, that's all you needed. You got fired up just from that, right? When when you hear their voice at an event, you know it's a really big deal. And that to me, like that's just that's just the ultimate in sports broadcasting swag when when because you are there, an event gets bigger. And I think Marv, even at seventy nine still has that. I still think he has that obviously in a limited role and all that now, when Marv Albert's calling a game, you know it's a pretty big game. yeah and and there's not going to be you know, in this cable era and there's five thousand channels out there now. There are a lot of really good broadcasters, but let's face it, it's obviously a much more diluted field than it was ten, 20, you know, 20, 30, maybe even 10 years ago. I don't know if we're going to see others like Marv Breen, John Sterling on radio, things like that, But Musburger. I don't know if we're going to see that anymore. Um, to me, that's Marv's legacy is that when he showed up at an event, when you heard his voice, you knew it was a big
0: deal. Yeah, I had a chance to speak with him a couple of times over the years. Uh, wonderful to me. And I, I've met his son Kenny back in 1990 when he first broke in as the play-by-play voice of the Baltimore Skipjacks when I was working at the York Daily Record covering Hershey Bears. So uh, you know he's obviously uh, following his father's footsteps, and uh, like I said, great career for Marvin. You just uh, a marvel, to you know, be able to get close, you know, around age 80 here and uh, still be able to, you know, do this get this gig. It's it's amazing.
2: It absolutely is, and you know it's funny because you mentioned Kenny. And my path has crossed with him a couple of times over the years. Not not very often, but a couple of times. I, I'm always like... I, and I, some friends of mine in the NBA are, are good friends with Kenny. So I feel like I know him just because some friends of mine who work for the league are, are good friends with him. It's, it's got to be so weird to be really, really good at your field. And... You're always going to be the second best in your family
0: yeah.
2: at something, right? Like, like, like Ian Eagle's son. Ian Eagle's son is, you know, broadcasting Clipper games now. And the kid's amazing. The kid's like, you know, 25. He's got like an NBA play-by-play job already. Something crazy. Like, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in this world anymore. Yeah. The kid's got amazing talent, but he's never going to be his dad. Like, you know, Jeremy Schaaf with you know, with, with, with his father. Yeah. like. <laughs> I mean, you mean you? guys are so good. You're at the top of your. You're at the top of your fields, and you're never going to be better than your dads. It's got to be a very weird feeling.
0: <laughs> you were in uh, Uncasville, Connecticut, for the basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Just uh, talk about Vanessa Bryant's speech and how emotional that was. Um. So the thing,
2: the first thing I noticed about it was, you know, every speech was loaded onto a teleprompter. You know, as you'd expect in those situations. I mean, you know, they're they're, they're athletes. They're not public speakers necessarily. So, you know, and even, by the way, even the pros, even, you know, Mike Green the night before, and Jim Gray and those guys, they all had their speech loaded on the prompters. I bring that up to say that there's also a clock, a very big clock on the bottom of the teleprompter counting down from 10 minutes, seven to 10 minutes, depending on who you were. For Vanessa, there was no clock because the hall said we just want you to be comfortable take as long as you want say what you have to say and i thought that was great i thought it was a great acknowledgement by the hall first of all to not put pressure on somebody who let's face it does not speak publicly very often didn't do the press conference the day before she just wanted the speech to, to speak for herself that's fine no problem with that of course um I, I thought she was incredibly composed. I thought the, the the strength that she showed to get through it. And, and yes, I mean, look, it, it's been 16 months. You know, I'm sure time has not fully healed the wound, but I'm sure she has come to grips with the reality that her life, her children's lives, they're forever changed. I, I'm, I'm sure she's come to grips with that. It could not have been easy. It really couldn't have been easy. and And what made it different, her was, you know, she wasn't the one going in. I mean, she has to try, not just does she have to speak about her late husband, in a room full of in, in a room full of the, the heaviest hitters in basketball. She has to try to get up there and say what a guy with that enormous of a personality, she has to try to emulate what he was going to say. Like I, I, I don't think she could have done a better job. I really i i I wouldn't have blamed her if she got up there and said you know you know on behalf of my husband and my my children and our family and blah 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 blah. thank you so much for this and walked off after 45 seconds and i think she talked for pretty close to like half an hour Mm. and she kept it together and i just you know all the little subtleties too like you know the laker purple dress you know like all those little the, the little details um having Michael there, the emotion that was on Michael's face throughout, like it was harder for Michael to stand behind her and listen to it. than it was for Vanessa to give the speech. Like, I, I just thought that was, I thought it was a remarkable, a a remarkable night. The speeches were incredible. Tamika catchings like stole the show. We all talked about Kobe and Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett for, you know, a year and a half since they got picked to go in Tameka Catching gave one of the speeches of all time. Like it was just, it was so powerful. Rudy Tomjanovich gave a great speech. It, it, it was. I was. You know, look, you've done this a long time, like I have. We've seen a lot of stuff. We've covered a lot of stuff. That was one of the moments where I felt just incredibly fortunate to say that I got to be there and hear that.
0: Yeah. It's
2: just, I, I just felt very lucky. It was, it was that. I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting something that well put together
0: and that strong and that powerful, and that's what I got. Final question. It's a non-basketball question. What's wrong with our Phillies? Well, <laughs> in no particular
2: order. Um, we can't pitch. We can't beat the Marlins. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... Aaron We scored, Aaron, I, think, Aaron not we've scored I think, like fifty runs more than the Mets, mm-hmm. and we're behind them in the standings because we can't catch a ball, we can't hit a ball. I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I still think it's there, but I've been thinking this for forty years that it's it's coming, right? Like, I just, I, 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 I will. I am. I. I know I'm in the minority on this. I. Be, I think Girardi is the right guy. I really believe. He's still the right guy. Um, We are wasting
0: Bryce Harper's prime. Mm -hmm. I want to
2: see an urgency. It's clearly, as constructed, 41 games in or 43 games in, whatever we are, we're a 500 team. Where's the urgency to go out and make a huge move? Go out and make a move. Just go make a move. You are wasting Bryce Harper. You're not going to get generational talent To come back to philadelphia if bryce harper can't get to the freaking playoffs in his prime i want them to take a big swing at the deadline i don't care how many Lehigh, lehigh valley iron pigs we have to trade i don't care how much of the farm system we have to give up go load up and try to win you just if they sit idle I've broken up with the Phillies, I think, 27 times in my 40 years of being a fan. If if they sit idle this year at the trade deadline, it's going to be the 28th breakup. I'm telling you right now, we're going to do it. We're, we're going to. I want
0: a big, big swing. I mean, I, I, I don't think to me Aaron Nola's not an ace. Uh, he just, especially in September, he has always faded. Uh, To me, I I think I trade Gene Segura just put Maton at second base. If I can get something for Segura, and unfortunately their farm systems, they don't really have anything in the farm system. Yeah,
2: they really don't. I was was saying that. I mean, you know, this. I mean, but somebody has to be "quote unquote" the ace. Um, It's not Wheeler.
0: I think Zach Wheeler's the ace.
2: he might have to be. Come to think of it, I mean. I I, I, I just I, I feel like it's coming. Like I just feel like it's coming. Then you look at all these signs. Like you know, we were joking before. We were joking before you hit record. You know about how, you know the the, the, the that that wall and right is not our friend right now. Like mm-hmm. how many times this year have we been an inch away from victory? It seems like, yeah. you know, maybe it isn't our year, or maybe it's a sign that it's coming. I I don't I don't know. I, I'm. What what worries me? Nobody, like nobody in baseball is hitting. You know, while we've recorded this podcast, three more no hitters have been thrown. Like <laughs> nobody is hitting. I understand that.
0: You know, Seattle Myers were down. The uh, team average of one ninety nine. After they got no hit by uh, that's,
2: that's insane.
0: I know, by the Tigers. I
2: uh, I still think we have enough. We we I don't think there's a lot of teams out there that can look at their roster and say we have enough offense. I think we can say that. I really do. I think the Phillies can say that. So why are we mediocre? We should be better than everybody. It, when you're one of the 8 or 10 teams, I think, that can score runs in bunches and do so consistently, why aren't you better than 22 and 21 after 43 games? Two, it's just
0: two, madness. Two, two words. Launch angle. Yes. Hirsch <laughs> lost launch angle. Hirsch. I hate this metric. I hate it so much. I mean, you know, look what they did at the, the, the Tuesday night game against the Marlins. I mean, that's at eighth inning. They hit the ball. They sprayed it around. They got base hits. They didn't try to kill the ball. That's the way you win baseball games. You get you get 300 great, but you're, you know, you know, hits here, single here, double there. And look what happened. It was a seven run inning.
2: Ugh. It's, yeah, I don't, I haven't given up hope yet. I haven't given up
0: hope yet. Well, I grew up in Philadelphia. Yet is coming. <laughs> I, I, I grew up in Philadelphia. I'm surprised I haven't had five or six heart attacks in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm going to try to get. I've got the. I've got you know. that we're in the playoffs, the playoffs run right to USA Basketball selection, and then the NBA Finals, and then from there I go to Tokyo. I'm I'm thinking that I'm going to try to find an excuse to get up there in August. And because I, I, I haven't been, I haven't been to, to CBP in a while, but I'm hoping that by August there's still a reason to go. Like, just give me that. Give yeah. me a reason to get be excited about this team in August, please. Just give me something.
0: Yeah. Well, Tim, appreciate it, and uh, maybe we'll uh, if we get you know, dates right, maybe we will get together, and go see the Phillies. Uh, give us uh, gray hairs. Uh, sometime that, that'd be fun.
2: <laughs> we we can we sit there. We, let's, let's get good seats so we're on camera. And we just sit there and be grumpy when it's you know when we just look and be like, <laughs> what did we do this for? Like seriously, I mean, it, it, it's so. I got ultimate respect for Cubs fans because it's not like they're. It's easier for it's easier for us than a Cubs fan, you know, to go through what they got – You know. Our Ranger fans waiting 54 years and now halfway to another 54 year run between cups. Like we have a little better than some teams, but being a Phillies fan is not easy and it builds character. That's what I do say.
0: And you know it's not easy being us. So we'll if I if I get up there, we got to get down for a game. Yes. Absolutely, sounds good. Tim Reynolds, Associate Press. Appreciate your time. Where uh, can people forget find you on Twitter? Uh, by Tim Reynolds. Just like the byline would be by Tim Reynolds at
2: APNews and you know what? Don't worry about me on social media. Buy a newspaper.
0: Buy a newspaper yes. and read me in that, please. Yes, please do that. Thank you very much, Tim. Appreciate it again. Thanks, Ken. Take uh, care. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast. I'll have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest in just a moment. car season is here, and it's time for the play of the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of or finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by 2nd Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Union Women's Hockey Coach Josh Skiba. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 13 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is Tim Gentile of Schenectady. Tim wins a $50 grocery card. Congratulations, Tim. Scott Lucier of Capital Land GMC was the VIP winner. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest... And that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. Well, on Tuesday I got to see my son graduate from UAlbany in just three years. Uh, amazing job that uh, my son does did uh, there. Uh, I'm so proud of him. Uh, my wife and I are so proud of. Him. He made the dean's list every year and uh, worked hard. And especially the last year and a half with the pandemic, uh, working, uh, doing his schoolwork from home. Uh, just an amazing accomplishment and uh, we're so proud of him. And, uh, thank you to Albany for the three years. Uh, my son learned a lot and he's ready for, uh, his next adventure in life. So congratulations, Stephen. We love you and we're proud of you. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is here, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Mike McGadam and Tim Reynolds for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at DailyGazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Shot. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.